Hi, and welcome to The Final Report, where HMC Investigations will team up with former criminal defense attorney Fletcher Long and research specialist and author Tracy Ellis to present to you the evidence of real-life cases. This first podcast is an introduction episode in which we hope to give you an idea of who we are and what we're about. Some podcasts will be live and others will not, but don't worry, we want your feedback and we are always open to your questions and comments. Once a month, we will dedicate an episode to answer your questions. To reach us, send an email to thefinalreportpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Final Report. This is Fletcher Long. I'm here with Heather Cohen and Tracy Ellis. Heather Cohen and Tracy Ellis, of course, are uh, leaders in the field of private investigation, and I was formerly an attorney who has done quite a bit of radio, and we are going to discuss with you kind of a true crime type podcast, uh, different high-profile cases in which we've been involved or on which, on which we wish to report, and kind of give you a unique and interesting perspective uh, into these cases and how they resolve and what types of uh, issues resolve them, and 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 just matters that people tend to want to discuss around the water cooler. Um, we will record a podcast each week and publish it on various social media sites. Uh, and I'm going to turn it over for some introductions and kind of give us an outline. Uh, I'll go last, but first, well, let's go to Heather Cohen. Heather, what brought you to uh, brainstorm and kind of be the uh, creator of this particular show? Well, I just got to say that uh, we have so many cases and we think, you know, we just need to get some of this stuff out. We need people to listen and to really get some attention on these cases that we're working or that we have very strong opinions about. We just thought this is a really good platform for us to share evidence and share theories and to kind of banter back and forth um, between us. And I thought um, me being, you know, the investigator and Tracy being a research specialist and then Fletcher, your role is, is a, uh, you know, what you do best, which is to challenge and try to poke holes into our theories. And by each of us studying the cases and the evidence each week, and then coming back with our own theories and thoughts and whatever other evidence or, you know, uh, documents, research materials that we've managed to gather on our own, coming back and sharing that with each other. And then uh, that is actually the final report, is all of our reports and all of our theories and all of our ideas collectively. And Tracy, you uh, give us an introduction on your background and, and how you came to be involved in this podcast. As a young child, I was uh, at my aunt's Bible bookstore, and she got a call from her daughter, my cousin. And um, there had been a murder and it was um, Florida State University. And there had been a murder next door. And at that point, we only knew of a murder. And then it turned out there were several murders. And it was Ted Bundy. Oh, my God. Are you fucking so serious? At, yes. So at 13, I um, was kind of terrified. How do I stop myself from being killed by a serial killer? And that's when I started research in psychology. I have a degree in psychology and took some criminal justice. I've taken several classes other than that through um, statement analysis and and through the Q Center. And from that point, I met up with 
Heather on a case she was working and then she met up through that case with Fletcher so that's how we all ended up together <laughs> and uh, you know a, a little bit about the my background I was a criminal defense attorney that did high profile criminal defense for some 20 years and uh, Nick Barris remarked one time he's a famous uh, investigative journalist in Channel 5's large city in Tennessee for those of you in Nashville, for those of you that are not Tennesseans that are listening to this. And he said one time that of the five highest profile cases he had ever, on which he'd ever reported, four of them were cases that I had defended for whatever reason. So I kind of had this penchant uh, of, of getting, you know, if, if they had a nickname, if Jack the Ripper was being defended, I was the one that ended up defending the Ripper for some reason. I always got, you know, and so I, I was the attorney for the wooded rapist. I was the attorney for the Vanderbilt rapist. Uh, these nickname the uh, cases, you know, I always seem to get them for, for whatever reason. And, and it goes into something that you asked me to comment on, Heather, coming into this initial podcast is you wanted me to comment on what was the hardest case uh, that I ever had to defend. And of course, people always want the criminal defense attorney to, to labor with having to defend someone that they believe to be guilty we do not labor with that at all. Uh, we don't give it a second thought. We're, we're programmed. That's programmed out of us uh, in law school and as we become attorneys. To, you know, it's explained to us that we're not social workers. It's not our job to. But, you know, so if anybody that ever says that, well, I just can't defend X type of crime, they're really not a criminal defense attorney at all ever. You know, if you're a real criminal defense attorney, you can defend anything because that's what our justice system that's for what it calls it calls for that and if you have a problem with it then you shouldn't accept the money that is paid to you by people to defend them if you can't properly defense but i will tell you that probably the hardest case that i ever had to defend was brandon vandenberg in the vandy rape case and it was not because he was guilty even though he was that wasn't what made it difficult what made that case difficult was that he fit and you talk about Tracy that you have a background in psychology he fit so completely the psychological profile of someone who would commit the acts of which he was being accused mm. and unfortunately for Brandon he also manifested every single outward sign and um sort of nonverbal um statement to the effect of, you know the jury could almost look at him and he almost screamed at you hey I am this guy. I'm, I am this guy. I have these type of attitudes about women. I have the requisite amount of misogyny and hatred. Uh, you know, I have the requisite amount of entitlement. Uh, and I, if you were to ask someone to draw a picture of a football player at a university who would take advantage of a passed out dancer in an athletic dormitory, mm-hmm. it'd be they, him. They would probably draw him. Wow. Uh, he would fit, he would punch every one of your tells, if hmm. you will. And so it was a difficult case because I had no clue. First of all, he had committed the offense on, on tape. Yes. Um, the audio was worse than the video. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I thought about it when Justice um, uh, Kavanaugh was being confirmed. The statement that she made, all she could remember was the, the victim when she was testifying for Congress. All I could remember was the uproarious laughter. Right. Well, 
you followed the Vandy rape case, Tracy, and I know Heather, you you did too. The uproarious laughter just struck me like a a, a boat oar in the face because that's exactly what about when I heard the audio in Brandon's case, Brandon Vandenberg's case, I knew that we would never overcome it. Or I, I wasn't sure how we could overcome it. You know, I yeah. guess I got lucky. I had a juror with a, with an agenda that got on the jury and I got the case mistried mm-hmm. for that. But I, you know, but other than that, uh, we were talking, we just had a prosecutor's race in Kentucky where on the eve of the election, the prosecutor lost a murder trial. And they were talking about how that weighed into their decision to not vote for this prosecutor, right? Well, it's particularly upsetting when you're a prosecutor and it looks bad to the people who elect you if you lose a murder trial. And one reason that is, is because you get to pick the cases you try. If the case isn't a good case, you shouldn't be trying it. Right. You know, there's actually, if, if you have a doubt as to whether you can prove somebody committed the offense, then there has to be reasonable doubt as to whether the person committed the offense. Right. I mean, you're, you're paid to believe they did it and you're not sure. You yes. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and, you know, in a defense context, when once I agree that, okay, I'm a professional criminal defense attorney, this is what I do for a living, this is how I will apply my wares, this is how I will feed my family. Once I make that commitment, uh, you know, I don't get to choose whether I'm going to try the case if I've accepted the employment. Mm hmm. The government can veto my choice, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I can go to them all I want and say, hey, I'd like to settle this case. But I can't settle the case if they don't let me. Right. And so that's, so that's how I, you know, came. I was a criminal defense attorney. I wanted to help people. The reason I am a big believer, I fight for the underdog. I am not a fan of government. Uh, I think our government is capable of any number of atrocities. And I think that people, common everyday, common Joe type people, have to have some level of protection against, against their government. I think that's what a democracy. Absolutely, is. absolutely. Do you think yes. each person you defend is an underdog? Sometimes they're they're more they have more advantages than the victim. Uh, Tracy, I'm assuming there are defendants that would have more resources and ability than the victim. But you got to remember, the victim's not the one paying for the prosecution either. It's the taxpayers. And so I don't I never personally had a defendant that could out resource. The government that was prosecuting this person, uh, I like, for instance, I never I was very good friends with Johnny Cochran. May yes. he rest in peace. He was a very dynamic and charismatic person. He was one of the finest trial lawyers this country's ever known. And uh, he and I had the occasion to sit around and talk conceptually about criminal defense and the like for several hours. I, I say I was his good friend. I thought, I thought mighty well of him, okay? But now, I never, unlike the late Johnny Cochran, I never had the uh, fortune of getting someone like an O.J. Simpson that literally could spend whatever he needed to spend in order to uh, have tailored for him or crafted for him a defense. I, you know, my guys were always kind of trying to get defense on the cheap. Like mm-hmm. I've told Heather this story, Tracy, I'll tell you, it's online. You can go to YouTube and watch it. But the Tennessean published about seven minutes of my closing argument mm-hmm. in the Vandy Rape case. They called it the highlights. I don't know. They did not ask me for what seven minutes I thought. <laughs> 
best seven minutes. They picked the seven minutes, but the whole argument wasn't but 33 minutes anyway. Uh, so I need to go watch her. that. I haven't it, seen it. You, you can get it on YouTube. It's it's on YouTube. I mean, uh, Tennessean, Fletcher Long. Okay. You know, you're going to pull up a bunch of stuff about my convention <laughs> if you, you know, do too much search for Fletcher Long. But, uh, you know, it, it's on there. But uh, uh, the point is, is that the day that I gave that closing argument, I want you to go watch it. And I want you to remember this one thing. It had been so long since the Vandenberg family had paid money that they owed me that they were contractually obligated to pay me on mm -hmm. a monthly basis. It had been so many months since they had paid me that I gave that argument and didn't have enough money to get my car out of the, out of the uh, uh, courthouse's parking garage. Oh my I, God. I had to borrow money from associates to, a, to, to, to get out of the parking garage. Mm -hmm. I didn't have money for lunch. You know, so I'm out here. So you know, a lot of people vilify big time prison. hot shot attorney. Yeah. Well, yeah, they all <laughs> yeah. attorneys are, and 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 I was, a, you know, as as a hot shot attorney goes. I mean, Tracy, I don't know if you know much about when I was an attorney, but I was. Yes, I, was, I do. I did research. Yeah, I, I was, <laughs> That's I what she did. You're in my you're in my book, there, Fletcher. Well, there you go. I was, I was a hot shot criminal defense attorney. I was considered to be a, a fairly uh, top drawer as far as ability in a courtroom anyway. And uh, and I couldn't afford to get my car out of Hawk, you know. Uh, and and I'm still having to fight for this guy who at present is the sole source of my every problem. Right? I mean, yes. I can't go to and make money because I'm in here defending a guy that's not paying me to defend him. And he's and he wants to see what the jury's verdict is going to be before he decides if he's ever going to pay me. See, that's what that's what they the way they do. Well, well, let's they, wait he was tried again with a different defense attorney, correct? He was. That's correct. Yes. But he was tried based on an error that I had discovered. Right. I had discovered the way I discovered that was pretty interesting, if anybody cares. Um, I came in the next morning to my office and a guy was waiting to talk to me on the line. My office staff had answered the phone and uh, Mr. Long, you got a guy on line one. So after the phone, he goes, he goes, you had a juror, the foreman of the jury. Did he tell you that he was the victim in a 23 count statutory rape case mm. where he testified in the case, uh, went to trial, tried to a jury and the guy was convicted and sent to prison. Did he? I, he said, "I bet you he didn't tell you any of that mm -mm. in voir dire." No. Nope. And I, I said, "No, he didn't." And he said, "Did you ask?" I said, "Well, of course. I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of my rep, that 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 was at the time part of my regular repertoire in voir dire was to ask, mm -hmm. "Have you ever been the victim of a crime? Your family member been the victim of a crime?" And we had asked him that very question. If you recall, he did say that he had. And uh, a brush with the criminal justice system because he caught a pot charge, but he never he never told us, "Hey, look, guys, I was the victim in a twenty three count statutory rape uh, case mm -hmm. uh, where I was having sex with my male neighbor, mm -hmm. and my mother found out and had him prosecuted, and this guy went to prison." And so wow. I asked him, "I said, how do you know all this?" And he said, "Well, I'm the guy that went to prison." Oh, <gasps> what? He said, I'm, he said, I'm the guy. Holy said, shit. You're serious? This is how this happened. He said, he said, I went, he said, I watched that interview of this guy last night. And I said, oh my God, he, <laughs> he was never, he was never going to find 
Vandenberg not guilty. He's on that jury getting even with me. Mm. Wow. Wow. And I said, Would you go on the record? He said, yes, I would. And I called, I got right off the phone, called Nick Paris and said, get a camera, get a truck. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the guy's address. And that, mm -hmm. that, that story was on that night. You have a hotline wow. to Nick, don't you? I, I've what? Hotline. Well, I, I, yes, at the time, you mean I had a hotline to the news media? To, or? to Nick. Yes, yes. <laughs> Nick and I were, yes. I had a, yes. <laughs> Nick Barrett made, he, he, he often said that I won him plenty of daytime Emmys. <laughs> and, and he knew that I knew what a news story was. And he knew that if it was a case in which I was involved, that, um, that it would be newsworthy. Unfortunately for me, when I got charged and everything, it, 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 you know, everything about me was newsworthy <laughs> and not, not so much more. I'm kind of a nobody and I'm kind of a, enjoying the anonymity to some extent, but, oh, please. but I had, a, there's nothing I about had, you that's anonymous. Not even now. <laughs> I, I had, I had that kind of relationship with a lot of reporters. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Nick. Nick was the lucky one that I decided to let have these stories. You know, it started, it actually started out with Larry Brenton. That's how long I went back with uh, the national news media. It, anyway, anyway, that's that. That's the truth about uh, high-profile criminal defense: is that it's a thankless job. People hate you for it, and you're not remunerated very well for doing it. Oftentimes, but that that is how we caught the juror lying. Uh, that is what initiated that whole thing, and that's how I came to call Nick Barris and had him put that on air that night. Please. Yeah, defense attorneys are so important, though, because if at trial someone is not defended well, they get off. Well, I, I'll tell you something funny. I mean, it's kind of one of these tell-alls on the Vandy rape case, if, if you will. Uh, the Vandenberg family tried to fire me about three weeks out from trial, and they were very upset with me. They wanted me to proffer a defense along the lines of how do you know that she wasn't conscious, but really enjoying it. And I drew the line at that. I said, that's a defense that may get you the death penalty. That's a defense. I, I said, good Lord, we have a battle as it is as criminal defense attorneys. I don't believe the physical evidence in any way supports that theory. And I believe that that's a theory if we try to proffer it will backfire big time. And so they wanted to fire me. And the guy that kept me hired, uh, Warwick Robinson, called uh, the, the attorney from California. Uh, his name was Albert Perez. And he, uh, he had kind of, he came into Tennessee and tried to represent himself as a big time criminal defense attorney. And that he had defended Snoop Dogg or whatever it was. I believe that was one client that he claimed to have had. And Albert, you know, it's, you can't really in today's day and time, you really can't lie about yourself because people can look you up. Yeah, it's too easy. Google. <laughs> and Albert Perez was probably mm -hmm. a very capable personal injury attorney, car wreck guy, but he really wasn't a big time criminal defense attorney. And, uh, you know, and, but he was very, he thought he was much better than he was. And if he was the greatest attorney that California had ever seen, which I can tell you, he wasn't even in the zip code of that guy, but if he was, 
what he, the way he presented a case was not going to be very palatable to a Middle Tennessee Southern jury because he had a, he had a disdain and dislike for Southerners that, that, that seemed to, um, it seemed to pervade everything that he said and every, every, uh, physical affect that he manifested was kind of washed in this disdain and, and uh, apparent superiority to Southern people. And a Southern jury was going to, you know, as you know, Tracy, they're going to pick up on that. Even if he doesn't say it, they're still going to pick up on it. Right. Yeah. They're going to see it in his face. Yeah. And uh, you could, it wasn't hard to see it. I mean, it just, it was, it was what it was. Well, anyway, so they try to fire me. So work Robinson in Nashville, Tennessee, has Albert Perez and, and, and Brandon's parents, I guess about a week out from trial, he has them come into his office. And uh, I'm there, but he tells me, he says, listen, you don't even open your mouth. I said, all right. So he, they walk into this room and he looks at me, he says, look, they have to cheat to beat Fletcher Long. That's how good he is. For them to beat him, they have to cheat. If you fire him from this case, you've not only doomed your son to being convicted, and we might as well just skip the trial, but you're also screwing my client too. You know, to be honest, um, you know, what, God, five, six years ago? I don't even know if it was that long, but however long it was when you took the Bobo case. Um, you know, back then, I think I was very naive about the criminal justice system and about, um, you know, law enforcement in general. And I had, you know, just kind of, I think the same idea about the criminal justice system that most people do. And it's just that, you know, uh, they're just doing their job. They would, they would never be, you know, corrupt that they're, yeah, you know, I mean, I think most people say, well, there's, there's probably, you know, corrupt officers or corrupt judges or whatever here and there, but I don't think um, I had any idea how much corruption and how much um, injustice was actually going on. And, um, you know, since I have come to that realization, I've come to appreciate Fletcher, um, what you do. And I've come to understand that even though people, you know, tend to really uh, hate the criminal justice, I'm, I'm sorry, the uh, criminal defense attorney, you know, almost as much as they hate the criminal or the alleged criminal, but, um, but I've come to understand that that might even possibly be the most important defense uh, work out there is the criminal defense, because without that, you know, there would be even more injustice than there already is. Well, if, if you really think about it, think about it in these terms, the cornerstone of democracy, which we're really a representative republic, but whatever, but the cornerstone of what we call American democracy is our ability to criticize the mm -hmm. government without fear of sanction or reprisal. If, if you don't, if you can't criticize, if you can't tell the emperor he's naked, then you're not a free country. Right. Okay? And that's, that's why I am never going to agree uh, mm -hmm. with the present president's stance on the news media, mm -hmm. vilification of the news media, uh, you know, his, his sometimes, no matter what I think about some of his other things, mm -hmm. what his stance vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the freedom of information, uh, the how dare you challenge me, you know, you, you in that job, you will be challenged. You should expect to be challenged. Mm -hmm. you, uh, there shouldn't be, but you can't 
kick, you can't deny the press privileges of Jim Acosta because you don't like what he asked. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't do that. And Barack Obama did the same thing to Fox News mm -hmm. once. Uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm not saying that it's even a, a left or a right issue at all. But, in, you know, you and for every American out there that watches the criminal defense attorney ply his wares and you can watch it more. You know, my friend Kathy Russin has gone to work for for Abrams. Don Don Abrams has his own uh, streaming channel that covers nothing. But he used to be with CNN, uh, but or MSNBC, one of mm -hmm. them. Well, anyway, he's got mm -hmm. his own station now. And Kathy Russin's a friend of mine from Utah who covers courts. Uh, she covered me many times. I interviewed her mm -hmm. on when I had a radio show several times. But, you know, people do watch it every day. It's, it's like the soap opera of the day, right? And when you watch that, you want to vilify these people. Yeah. And, oh, this guy makes me so mad. And, you know, why didn't he just admit that the guy did it? But, you know, really... Yeah. A citizen of the United States has got to have the right to look at his government, whether that government's the president of the United States, the Senate, the Congress, right. the Department of Justice, or the, or the police department. <laughs> you know, the, the, the officer at the crosswalk, they've got to be able to look at, a, at their government and say, you are wrong. And they have to be able to, to call the government wrong and try to prove that the government's theory is wrong without being afraid that some bad crap's going to happen to them. And, and, and we can't make America great again because in that regard, it was never great in that one regard because we've always vilified the criminal defense attorney from the, from the very first inception of this country. You know, go back to Atticus Finch, the, the attorney we all want to be in Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, and look at uh, everybody vilified him because he had temerity to proffer a defense for this black guy that had to have done it because he was black. You exactly. So, and that's one of the topics that, that we've been covering a lot. I'm uh, pursuing a master's degree right now in criminal justice. And, you know, it's funny about this uh, program um, for my master's degree is that, you know, you would think that that I would be, uh, they'd be teaching me all the things that are right about the criminal justice system and, you know, teaching me to do things the way things have been done in the past, which is what I would have expected. But it's, um, really funny that, that most of what I'm learning about is everything that's wrong with the criminal justice system and racial profiling being one of them. And, uh, the class I'm in right now is juvenile justice. And, and there's a lot wrong with the juvenile justice system. Um, and just constitutional rights being violated left and right. And it's really uh, been eye-opening for me. Uh, so again, makes me appreciate what you do even more. And I think it's going to be great for our program because, um, you know, having you here, you know, uh, Tracy will be pulling research, I'll be investigating and then we'll bring it. And then you would be, you know, kind of almost like a court setting to where, you know, it's like we're presenting the evidence and then you're over here going, Hey, but what about this? And, you know, and it kind of would give some insight as to, you know, what kind of challenges, uh, and a, and a prosecuting attorney or, um, you know, whatever would, would have in court, you know, proving these things because you're a damn good criminal defense attorney. And I'm sure that any loopholes or any, you know, problems that, that, that would arise from our evidence or our theories, you would certainly think of Well, it. I'll tell you something. Since I've been disbarred, I have worked as a trial consultant for some cases. I've got some work doing mm -hmm. that. It's amazing to me 
that no district attorney's office anywhere has thought to come to me and say, here's the facts. What are they going to defend with? Yeah. I I can't believe they haven't done that because, I I mean, uh I promise you, I will come up with five things this person they're facing would have never even thought of. But yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they'd be better prepared if they would, you know, consult with you before they build their. The biggest thing that gets the government is when you come at them with the defense they weren't expecting. Right. Because they're so tunnel visioned that they can't, if you get them off script at all, I'll never forget kind of a little anecdote. I was defending this guy that was accused of stealing a tractor. It was in a rural county. And I I researched the tractor and I find out that there's actually a UCC-1 LIN filed against the tractor on behalf of a bank of Camden. And when I called the bank Mm. of Camden, I found out that the guy hadn't been paying his tractor note and it was out for repossession. Okay. And so I I issued a subpoena for the bank officer. I bring him to trial, you know, the the, the venire, which is going to become the jury when they get questioned and sworn in. That's what you call the the people that are out there. But before Wadir, they're called the venire. The venire is milling around in the courtroom. We're about to start jury selection. I walk over to the DA and I said, how much do you remember about Article 9 secure transactions in the Uniform Commercial Code? She said, not a damn thing. I said, well, you better learn something about it really fast because it's going to be the cornerstone of my defense today. And hmm. she said, what do you mean? I said, you see that gentleman sitting right over there? She said, yeah. I said, that is Mr. Al Ward, who's the, who's the compliance officer for the Bank of Camden. And uh, he's here to tell this jury that this tractor doesn't even belong to your victim. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of law, you can't steal a tractor from someone that doesn't own it. Oh God! <laughs> I, I said he's here, and by the way, he wants his damn tractor. He's here to get his tractor today. He's taking custody of the tractor today. You know, oh, well, hell, God. the damn DA said this case. The, the, the judge said we ready for trial. She said the government would like to uh, uh, dismiss mm-hmm. the case, Your Honor. Not Nolly Prosecchi, you know, which we're not yeah. going to prosecute it any further. Tracy, you got some thoughts on all this? No, I had thoughts a while back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, you know, people people think, people think, well, you know, that's just some clever lawyer trick. No, it's not. It's just that it's something she wasn't expecting that day. She she Mm -hmm. didn't think she was going to be trying a civil suit about secured transactions, you know, and it it, it threw her off her game. So, you know, uh, the case that kind of brought us all together, um, why don't we... uh, one by one kind of just give a brief summary of our, um, our roles in that case. And, uh, uh, I, I guess I'll, uh, I'll kick it off if you don't mind. Um, I, uh, about two weeks after Holly Bobo disappeared from Parsons, Tennessee, um, I decided to go down and, and join the volunteer search team. Um, I did so because of, uh, the fact that I had been having some dreams about Miss Holly Bobo, and I felt very compelled to uh, become personally involved in the search for her. And so, uh, so I got down to Parsons, and uh, a friend of mine had had rode along with me, and she was not as into it as I was. I'll tell you that 
message, but she was ready to go home pretty quick. But, um, but we got down there and the, um, the, uh, TBI had actually called off volunteer searches that day. It just so happened to be the day that they had decided it was no longer a missing persons case. It was actually a homicide case. Um, I believe it was right after they had found the SIM card to her phone. And um, so they basically, you know, told us to go home. And uh, that's just not my style. I'm very headstrong. I get something in my head and I'll be damned if he was going to tell me different. I was there to search and search was exactly what I was going to do. Uh, so we went to the sheriff's department. We, um, we, we talked with the dispatch and, uh, the dispatcher there and a couple other people from the sheriff's department, including the sheriff actually. And, um, and the dispatcher, uh, says to me, she says, well, um, I know, uh, Holly's next door neighbor. Um, he's, he's a friend of mine and, uh, you should go up there and talk to him and see if he'll let you in through his property. And, uh, so that's what we did. We drove up there and, um, and you know, at this point in the game, I don't feel like, uh, there's anything that I need to withhold. We all know at this point who did it. Um, and by sharing this information, I'm by no means making an accusation towards this person. Although at the time, uh, I wasn't so sure. Uh, keep in mind, again, this is about two weeks after um, Holly had disappeared. And so me and my friend, we haul our asses up to uh, the next door neighbor of the Bobos, who was the individual who had actually heard the screams and reported them to his mother. Uh, you probably remember who that is, right, Fletcher? Yeah. yeah that would be uh, Clint. Ed Barnes. Isn't that right? No, I was thinking of his, I was thinking of Holly's brother. I was thinking of Holly's brother, oh. but I was... Well, yeah, no, Holly, um, Holly's brother had seen her walking, but, but the neighbor who heard the screams was Ed Barnes. Okay. And so, um, when we got to his house, I mean, literally before we even came to a stop, I mean, he's, it was just so bizarre. Um, he's approaching our vehicle and, uh, I can see his mother and his girlfriend there also. And he comes up to the vehicle, he comes up to the window and, um, and I get, I'll tell you what, I can play stupid like no other, <laughs> or maybe it's just, I play smart sometimes. I don't know which it is, but, um, but you know, when he started coming up to the car, I got real flirty and I said, Oh, hi. You know, I just <laughs> wanted to know if it's okay if I look for Holly and you know, if you'd let me, you know, I just played like some airhead and, um, and he said, I'd rather you didn't. And I said, okay. All right. Well, that's cool. I respect that. Okay. Bye. And we drove away. Um, as soon as we pulled away from his house, my friend and I both looked at each other and said, what the fuck? He had scratch marks from his ear clear across his face. And, and granted this was two weeks later and they looked pretty fresh. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure how they would have been Holly's, uh, but you know, of course that was our first thought right. in our minds. And so we panicked. Um, and I called back down to the sheriff's office and I told the dispatcher this, I said, that motherfucker had scratches on his face. 
And she says, oh, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have sent you up there. Him and his mom did fail their lie detector tests. And I don't even know if that, I don't even know if that's true or not, but that's what she said. Right. So, um, so yeah, so we're just like, oh shit, you know? So after that, we got real shaken up and, uh, we were trying to decide and, you know, of course she wanted to go home and I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't want to, I'm not, I guess I'm not that smart, <laughs> don't have the, you know, but she's thinking, oh, well, this is a dangerous situation that we, you know, she's having that realization and I'd, I hadn't had that realization yet, you know, never mind that this is a murder case and the murderer is still on the loose and we're just trampling, you know, in this, in this small town, nonetheless, uh, you know, knocking on doors, talking to people just, you know, like, like it's nothing. And, 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 and uh, you know, for people that don't know, this is a very rural, uh, not very well populated area in Tennessee too. So Right. You, you can go miles and miles between houses in some parts of this county where mm-hmm. where this was occurring. So, I, I mean, I think that that weighs into this some. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So when we left there, I said, um, well, let's let's go sit down and have a bite to eat and just kind of think about this, what we want to do. So we end up at a place called Granny's Kitchen. And, um, (laughs) and we sit down and, and, you know, I do believe a lot in divine guidance and I have seen it firsthand in more than one of my cases. And, um, I just, I believe that, um, I, I believe that there is, um, something, I don't know what to call it. You know, I, I, um, I don't want to go as far as to say, you know, psychic or, you know, this or that or whatever, but there is definitely an energy that's released, I think, out into uh, the atmosphere and and call it divine guidance or call it what you will. But but it seems that in some cases, in, in my life at least, um, that there's there's a hand on what's going on, that it's not just, you know, my incredible investigative skills. It's something else that that has nothing to do with me. And in this particular case, uh, I can say I definitely saw that. Um, you know, even just if from the very start of it being the dreams, but, um, but then once we get to Parsons and literally the very first day, you know, when we're sitting at granny's kitchen, trying to decide if we're going to continue to look for Holly or whether we're going to pack up and go home, um, sitting there having a salad and all of a sudden I get just this kind of anxiety. Uh, I couldn't breathe, felt claustrophobic. And I'm like, I have to get some air. I have to get some air right now. I got up and walked outside and I sit down on a bench and there's a woman that sits, uh, actually she was sitting there first. And then I sat next to her and I, and I got to talking to her and I bummed a cigarette off of her and she, you know, asked me, what are you guys doing here? And, or what are you doing here? She didn't see my friend yet, but she said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, my friend and I are here, uh, looking for Holly Bobo. And she says, (laughs) um, I think I know what happened to her. And I said, really? And she's, yeah, okay, well, what? (laughs) And she says, um, well, I got a text message from Shane Austin asking me for an alibi the day after she disappeared. And uh, I'm just, you know, holy shit, (laughs) you know? The the brilliant criminal mind. (laughs) What a a great idea, you know, like, let's go into our Google search engine and search out alibis, you know? Yeah. 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 So, um, so she ends up giving us 
uh, directions to um, a, an area of holiday right over there by Zach Adams's house where um, they were known, uh, from what I understand, to um, set up little shake and bakes and cook their meth. It was their, quote, stomping grounds. And uh, so uh, me and, and my other little five, you know, five foot four friend, you know, both of us, you know, collectively weigh, weighing, you know, a couple hundred pounds, um, you know, we, uh, we go up there into these dense woods and, you know, where their stomping grounds are and, um, you know, back on this little gravel, gravel road with a little cemetery on, uh, one end of it and then a, a, a lake or not a lake, I'm sorry, a pond on the other side of it. And, um, it's just eerie as all get up, but, but we end up back there, um, on their stomping grounds while they are still walking around free, you know, looking for clues, looking for Holly. And, and walking up, and walking up on a meth lab or meth site is, is dangerous. It's like moonshine still, you know, which we did. Yeah. Same type used to moonshine are now cooking meth but that's heather yes it is it is um and so we did we did come up on um it wasn't actually a, a meth lab that was still in use it was a trash bag full of meth debris chemicals and whatnot and um course you know called <laughs> called the uh oh how do i put this the incredibly <clears throat> um competent sheriff's department out there and uh in holiday which wouldn't have been um the same sheriff's department as parsons so it wasn't the same people that i was already communicating with but it was actually I think it's uh, yeah. what county is that um benton benton county yes so benton county comes out um, it's a, it's a female and, and, uh, she takes a statement from me. Then she ends up calling the, the drug, uh, task force or whatever to come out and collect the, the chemicals. And, um, so I fill out this big, long, you know, report and, uh, you know, and told them what we're doing there and whatever. And, you know, me, I'm not so, well, if you find the guys that dump this trash, you're going to find the guys that took Holly, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yes, I did say that. I'm pretty sure I wrote it in the report. Um, but what's so funny about that is that um, that report never got filed. That report never made it. Um, I have tried a gazillion times to get my hands on that report that I filled out that day. And there is no record of it. No record. So anyway, um, but this all goes without saying, you know, that, that, you know, the three of us met through the Bobo case and, you know, different capacities, um, uh, from that, you know, in my, um, for lack of better words, obsession with the Bobo case, uh, that pretty much consumed my life for three or four years at, at the very least. Um, and, and even, you know, I had to see it through to the trials. So and I, and I want to, if I can trial, lay down but, a little background, cause we um, assume oftentimes that people here in this podcast are going to know what the Holly Bobo case is. And it's hard to fathom. They wouldn't, but Holly Bobo was a very attractive nursing student from Parsons, Tennessee who disappeared. And uh, it, we came to learn that she had been mm -hmm. murdered uh, they did not find her remains or they uh, until later, 
and they found some of her remains and and but some it was a them. big murder yes. trial there was na- it was nationally covered uh and so that's that's the case that we're discussing mm-hmm. it, it if you want to google that it's h o l l y b o b o and uh, you you'll and, yeah so i mean uh, just so people YouTube. will know that's this this mm-hmm. is not a case that is that is regionally centered right. that you have to be from Benton County to have ever heard of it. It, it. it was a much grander. They actually had to bring in the prosecutors from Memphis, Tennessee to prosecute the case. The local DA had to recuse himself because of a conflict mm-hmm. that arose. I forgot it, it happened when I was still involved in it, but I, I forget now what it was. I think it was, I think it, I think he just finally just said, I don't think I'm competent right. to handle this, this amount of case is what it kind of boiled down to, but he got into it with the TBI, you know, and, and whatever. So, yeah. uh, and, yes. and, and the, my, the way I got involved in the Bobo case is much shorter than, than, than Heather's and maybe even Tracy's. I, uh, I got a call from Jason Autry's mother asking me to go to the prison and meet with him. He was a suspect being held. He actually was in prison already for some charges that were federally related and unrelated to this. So it wasn't it wasn't a situation where he was being deprived his present liberty so much so as as. But anyway, so I go down there to the prison I, at the time I had handled a case in Camden one time where in small towns, uh, people will come to court. It's their theater. It's like going to the local theater. I'm walking out the back end of the Camden mm-hmm. courthouse one day, yep. I had just defended someone in a trial and this woman who looked 90, she probably was 30 cause people live hard around there, but she looked, but she looked 90. So she, she probably, at the back of the courthouse, I'm wearing my bow tie, which I wore for years. And she said, there he is the bow tie killer. And people started calling me the Bowtie Killer uh, after that guy wrote a rap song called The Bowtie Killer that was about me as a lawyer and recorded it. And, you know, so it's a lot of. So anyway, I told you all that to tell you this. I go to the I go to the I have to go into the maximum (laughs) security. Right. And of course, every prisoner in there knows me. So I'm walking through there. Hey, Mr. Long, Mr. Long. Hey, hey, Mr. Long, you you need to take my case. You know, I'm like, okay, well, so I walk up. It's like, uh, it's like, have, have y'all seen Chicago? Yeah, it's like Chicago. You're, you're, uh, what's that, Philly? Dazzle, dazzle, razzle, dazzle. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But, but as the, but as he's walking through the prison, all, they're all, uh, Billy, we want Billy. <laughs> they're all well, singing. You know, they, 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 they all watch the news there religiously, as you would imagine. So anyway. Oh, Lord. That's better than Jody Foster yes, on yes. Silence no, of they the weren't Lamb. Doing that, although some of them may have been doing that, and I didn't know it. But <laughs> I go off, uh, and of course, everybody can hear Jason and me talk. They would they wouldn't give us our own room. Mm-hmm. Stand there at his cell door in the maximum security oh, God. of the prison, and so I'm not going to talk to him about the specifics of the case. And I look at him, and he he gets up when I come to his door. He's about six nine. I'm six three. He towers over me. But uh, he's I go, not six nine. I think he's like six five. Oh no, he's way taller than six five. This this guy towers over me. That, he towers over me. Yeah, he's a he, yeah, he's a big. He's boy. really big. I oh, mean, Lord. I'm six three, and I'm looking up. So anyway, he comes up to the door, and I said, uh, I said, I said, do you know who I am, son? He said, yes, sir. You the bow tie killer. 
<laughs> and I looked at him and said, let's hope you're not the Bobo killer. And oh. <laughs> I said, now listen, I don't want you to tell me anything about the case because we're being listened to right now. And mm-hmm. I told him, I said, I'm char- your, your family's paid me. Uh, and I told him the amount of fee. And then one of the inmates said, damn, I need to be a lawyer. And I was like, yeah, well, you need to be. Get out of here first mm-hmm. and then you can work on it. But mm-hmm. anyway, <laughs> um, and so I started defending him. But I had to be real guarded about when I met with him and what we discussed because I almost always had people around um, listening to every word we said. Uh, which is not supposed to be that way. They're, they're supposed to allow counsel to meet with his client in, in privacy. He might want to tell me, hey, I know where the body is. Offer him this for a deal, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. happy for him to do, and he never did that. He, he, mm-hmm. he maintained when I represented him at all times that he didn't know anything about it. And they had offered him, according to him, $180,000 for information that would even lead to her repayment. Right. Told me, I was yeah. taking that money. That money would mean a lot to my mom. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison anyway, so what do I care? So I be- Hey, Fletcher, I'm having a little hard time hearing you. It sounds kind of muffled. Oh. Tracy, are you getting the same thing? There, there yes, you go. That's yes. that's better, really? Fletcher. I think you just... All right. I uh, may have had my mic in the wrong place, but... I, yep. There, there yeah. you go. I, I believed you him, you know, because it was my job to believe him. I'm not there to take punch holes in what he's telling me. I'm not working for the mm-hmm. government. I'm working for him. And and he told me that that he didn't do it and would have given up that information for that amount of money had he. And it seemed reasonable at the time. Come to learn later that he basically went on the stand and contradicted mm-hmm. everything he had ever told me. So uh, and did it did it right, so well. Yeah. I mean it, you were there that oh, day. Yeah, right, I, I couldn't be there every day, but I was definitely going to be there for Jason Autry's testimony. And um, he's very charismatic. Like it was, it was very, very genuinely. Yes, he does. He, it, it was very, uh, his, his testimony was very believable. It seemed pretty darn consistent. I mean, well, his, his, his statements that he didn't know anything about it, and would tell him if he did because he needed the money was equally believable is all I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, now Heather, can you tell me about the, um, who was sitting on the same row as you in the, that day? Uh, Clint was uh, at one point. And who, uh, and who Ricky else? Alexander, Mary Beth Helms. And then somebody like from the AN. Oh God. Yeah, I forgot about that. He wasn't, um, he was over on the other side. Like we were on the right side. He was on the left. And uh, yeah, by, you're ta- saying Aryan Nation, right? Okay, Correct. yeah. Um, this guy's clearly from his tattoos. You, yeah, definitely, definitely was a telltale that he was um, Aryan Nation. Which, which Jason Autry was also is was i don't yeah, know yeah is was who knows anymore but um but yeah i mean that's that's what they say they say he was the big guy and around there around them parts and i think fletcher and i've discussed that before and how you know his affiliation most likely came from his time that he had already spent in prison and that you know you pretty much when you're in prison you have to affiliate you know you, you've got to uh find somebody to a gang to affiliate with, or you're going to be dead and raped and all sorts yeah, of Yeah, you got to figure out so. which fraternity is getting your services, right? 
Right. I mean, he, right. he decided to go A.N., but, you know, he could, you know, he, he didn't think. Right. I mean, he wouldn't have fit in very well with the MS-13s or the Crips. No, I mean, you know. Panthers or anything like that. Right. He, no. He no. went no. with the group he, that he thought best fit. You get in where you fit in. Well, that's right. You want to be comfortable yeah. with your with your affiliation, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. Well, Tracy, I'm tell, trying her, to think tell of, us about your involvement with the Bobo case, because I know you uh, lent a lot of uh, effort to that particular. Well, I I came after, um, not after the uh, the trials, but after she had already been found. I um, was thought about doing a a pre-trial book. So so much was involved. So many people were involved that I was trying to like separate them all as to uh, who is what and who does what. And so I started writing a book called the Holly Bobo trial guide. It was not well received, <laughs> but, and it did not sell many copies. Let's, However, let's, let's talk some more about that when you're done. I'd like to kind of hit on that just a little bit. Okay. So um, I did some doing research for, for that book. And I actually went down to the El John Motel where Shane Austin, who you had spoken about before, mm -hmm. one of the suspects had uh, killed himself. He hung himself. Mm -hmm. And I went down there and um, spoke to the manager. And he talked about what a big guy he was. And Shane Austin is a lot smaller than um, Jason oh, Autry. Yeah, mm -hmm. Jason Autry's zip code in size. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he's got his own. He should be his own gang, but um, Shane Austin, which, of course, he killed himself before he went to trial. He um, was in Florida, and I went and discussed it with his manager. The manager had never heard of the Holly Bobo trial guy, I mean, case. Never heard of the case, and um, he said he walked in that night, just walked in from nowhere, because I guess he has a closed circuit television on the parking lot and he walked in it was late and um he had his wallet with him and he asked him to see his you know pay for it he paid for it with cash and went to room his room and um oh come on you don't know what room number it was <laughs> yeah, it was 17 i, I think okay i think okay. it's 17 <laughs> I was automatically saying 13, but I think it was oh. room number 17. It was straight across. It was a U-shaped, a sideways U-shaped um, motel, and it was straight across from the office. And mm -hmm. uh, he, the next morning, some man and woman came in, and um, the man said his son, they think, is, is in serious shape, and they needed to get into the room. And um, he called his the manager of the complex to come in, the caretaker, and took the dad in there. And uh, Shane had hung himself from the, mm -hmm. the rack uh, that was high up, had hung himself from the closet rack. And um, I guess he slowly lowered himself. I guess it was a, a not an actual, it's a partial hanging. And... Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, most people, when they hang themselves, break their neck jumping from the table or whatever, and that's really what kills them. But it sounds to me like that Shane actually uh, was was strangulated by the rope. Correct. 
you know, in supposed. Gotcha. I never heard that term before. Not the way you want to go. Yeah. Some, some I, I'd rather not go any, anyway. <laughs> some people have done that in that auto-erotic asphyxiation. Correct. He, correct. Yeah. So he might not have been trying to kill himself. He might have been trying oh. to do something altogether different. Yeah. Well, he had told his mom on the phone, you know, more or less what was going to happen. Yeah. So that's why they drove. Yeah. yeah okay. So anyway, I, I went there and I also went to that Pearl Museum before it burned down. I think it's mm-hmm. Hamden also. And um, yeah, that's a very famous freshwater pearl business that was mm-hmm. in Camden that was particular to Camden, Tennessee. Uh, they right. were a family that had quite a bit of money uh, at one time. I don't know. And somehow the pearls tied in some way to the Holly Bobo case and, yeah, I can, strange. I can, uh, I can enlighten you on that one if you want, real quick. Yes. Um. Okay. So, and and it does kind of actually go back to our little, you know, uh, investigation. You know, dare dare I call it that? Um, that day, that first day that we were down there. But when we were looking on those back roads and in the woods and whatnot, we found um, several. I, I mean, more than several. I mean, tens of. Dozens of tens of dozens. Don't worry, I'll I'll edit no, that no, out. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's try this again. I almost said tens of thousands, but that would have been an a, 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 a gross uh, exaggeration. So, anyway, what I meant to say was we found dozens of um, the mussel shells that you know were emptied out that were cracked open, just laying around. And, um, later, I mean, you know, and I remember being like, okay, this is just really weird. You know, why are these muscle shells just out in the middle of the woods? Like it's, they were very misplaced. It seemed like, you know, not to sound too Scooby-Doo-ish, but this must be a clue, you know? <laughs> I love <laughs> and, uh, But sure enough. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, sure enough. Um, I don't know how much longer it was after that. I mean, it had to have been at least a couple of years when, uh, when, uh, what was the girl's name? Um, hell, I can't remember her damn name, but it was somebody that Zach Adams was associated with. And Amber, uh, I don't know. Let's, let's just not even try. Cause I really, I hate to say the wrong person. I can't remember the, the girl's name. Um, if you remember, by all means, you you know, I'd say it, but I, I can't remember. But um, the girl that had that they had been pulled over in the van and uh, her son was driving. Yeah. And they and, and then when they got to the house or whatever, that um, Zach Adams showed them where the pearls where where the pearls were. Yeah. 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 So that was the connection, I guess, um, was just that. And I don't know if it was directly connected to you know, their motive or, you know, Holly being killed, but it was certainly connected to, uh, the guys that, that essentially, you know, in the, in the end, um, were convicted of murdering Holly. Um, uh, so, you know, I mean, we know that they were cooking meth, they were, they were dealing drugs, they were, and then, and then there's the Pearl heist. So, you know, there were a and lot of were, things that they were, were involved in. There were murders in. with that Pearl too, years ago, years ago, someone's ended up, I'm disappeared and missing and never seen again. So yeah, that's a mystery. Um, what's the other girl's name from down there that, 
do you remember there's another girl from down there that went missing that they never yeah found. she she was it was all involved in the pearl pearl business i'm gonna have to google i that can't one. believe that i can't remember the name of this family uh i've known them Let, for years that own the land which ones Latondras? yeah the latondras yes. that's yes. it look yeah Latondra yeah. freshwater the, pearls. That, that was well, it. they separated, and someone else bought the museum, and someone else does the pearl mm -hmm. side, and they do the pearl side, and um, the museum and marina um, burned. The museum burned down. Yeah. Yes. So. I don't know. I don't know about you, Tracy, but I'm a little nervous about the, uh, the edit. Oh, yes. Christy Bogus Moon. Yes. Christy Bogus Moon, that's the one. And she disappeared right. in 1999. I was going to tell you, I'm a little nervous about these edits. I have a feeling that Heather's going to uh, sound great in the final episode of this. And you and I are going to sound like a couple of buffoons. Well, that's all right. We, we can Shut sound. up. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you guys. I want you to stick around with me. I would I wouldn't want you to be like, oh, fuck you, I'm out. Well, you know, but speaking of that other girl that went missing, there's a lot of peculiar things. If you ever uh, follow the news around West Tennessee and those rural West Tennessee Yeah, towns, I follow Bert. There, there, yeah, well, Bert is a good example of that. Go just follow him on Facebook. Bert Staggs, that is. S-T-A-G-G-S, yeah. Bert Staggs, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, little little plug in for Bert. <laughs> yeah, well, I follow him on Facebook too, and they're always having a missing person or, or uh, somebody turning up dead in in, in rural right. West Tennessee. It's, it's, it's bad. It's really really remarkable. Uh, I know they have a lot of. I used to have an office in Camden, Tennessee, and I I, I made quite a bit of money out of that office because I bet. you know the meth. <laughs> uh, yeah, the meth offenses alone. You know, meth, methamphetamine uh, production and distribution and usage was just incredible. And so was there. so I mean, was the rate of. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you say was? But, well, I mean, I, don't, I can't comment on it today. Right. I have no knowledge. And at to, that uh -huh. time, too, the judges just slapped them on the wrist. Go on, go on. They. Um, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. a small town kind of, you know, because I mean, when I started. Um, and I don't think it's any secret um, now that, you know, my my involvement in the Bobo case got even, you know, bigger than what it initially started out to be. Um, but when I when I did initially um, point to, uh, you know, the 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 A team, right. as everybody likes to call him, uh, Shane Austin, Zach Adams and both, Jason Autry, Adams, um, you know what I was getting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I never, I never pointed at Dylan Adams. Um, Dylan was not on my radar. Um, you know, that was, a, that was actually a surprise to me when I, when I heard it, cause I had no idea, but, um, but you know, when I would say to people, you know, when, when I would point at the 18, you know, and people would say, well, Jason Autry, he's not a murderer. He's, he's, you know, he fights and he's, he's a thief is what everybody'd say. He's oh, a that's thief. what he told me about himself that he was a thief. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when I, I mean, even, even, uh, not necessarily Holly's parents, but you know, other people that were close to the Bobos that I would mention Autry to would say, Oh, he's oh, a but thief, he, but he's no If murderer. you listen yeah. to that one, 
uh, well, you were at the trial where he said that uh, he was sitting there watching a body underneath the bridge and he thought, how can I get that to sink? I know I can slit it stomach and the gases will come out. Why would he be looking at a body? Why yeah. would, unless he had and, put and, that body why, why would he know that? Yeah, why would he? Why would he know that? Not, Calm down, Tracy. That, Calm down. That's not something. That's not information that I would be armed uh, as a as a yeah. fairly sophisticated layperson. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't know that if I slit the body open. That. Uh, but do you casually look at a body unless you put that body there? Uh, you know, I haven't been to a lot of rivers where I've seen dead bodies. I but I but if I do make such a trip. Uh, Maybe if I visit the African continent or something, I can I, I tell you more because I've heard that that happens sometimes. But so you say, so you just you know you're sitting on the on the uh, the uh, oh hell, what am I trying to say? Sitting on the bank. Here you go. I'm, I'm, that's how country I am. I can't even think of what the hell you call that thing. As, as Otis Redding as, as as Otis Redding would say, sitting on the dock of the bay. Right. Watching the bodies float by. Watching the bodies float away. <laughs> I wonder how we can get that body yeah. to sink. Why would he want to sink a body unless he put it there? Some fish now? I mean, nothing we can do about that body. It's already <laughs> dead, apparently. Yeah, that, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Oh, Lord. I just can't even. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of how we all came to know each other, I guess, um, which is I, I kind of wanted to circle back around a little bit um, to how Tracy and I tie in, which is hatred. <laughs> hatred is how we tie it in. Hatred. Not for one another, but no, but, uh, you know, as with any case um, that you, uh, I guess, insert yourself in in some way, um, uh, you're going to get a little bit of attention. And although that wasn't my motive when I got involved with the case was to get attention, I certainly did get my fair share of it. And um, a lot of it, uh, more like most of it, was negative attention. And um, yeah, yeah. and so, you know, I I did um, become what I consider to be fairly close with the Bobos. And um, I hosted a a a fundraiser for the family in which they um, sent uh, a couple people that they trusted that they were close to, to come and handle the money. I didn't even want to, I didn't even want to put my hands on the money because, you know, from, yeah, I just didn't want to open myself up to any sort of allegations or anything. So from the very beginning, I, I insisted that they send some people and they did. And they came out, they handled the money and, um, and, you know, between that and just searches and whatnot, you know, I, I, I did get, uh, somewhat, I guess, cozy with, with the Bobos and there were people that did not like that. And, you know, not like the Bobos. Well, yeah, yeah. They didn't like the Bobos, but not, not necessarily all of them. I mean, some of the ones that didn't like me didn't, you know, necessarily have anything against the Bobos, but um, I was actually come here, Fletcher, you're going to have to help me out. Cause I cannot remember this guy's name, but you know, the, the case where the girls were locked in the basement and that damn asshole that took him was like actually involved in like the searches and stuff. The one in Ohio. Yes. Uh, I cannot, rem- I can't remember the guy's name, but anyway, um, they were actually, there was, there was one point where this, 
this woman was comparing me to him because they had got it in their minds. I say they, and um, it really it started with one woman who had it out for me, and and she she believed she was psychic. Um, to, uh, I've got other words that are pretty close to psychic that would better explain her in my mind. But, um, but she, Ariel Castro, I was about to say that it's in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's who I was being compared to. (laughs) And, um, and they, you know, okay. So it starts with this woman. She decides that she hates me and that I'm involved in this thing. And she, uh, manages to somehow recruit a little following of people that believe her and, uh, they, you know, and I do know because I actually ended up filing a lawsuit and, um, this got really for, for a minute, it got pretty intense. Um, I did end up, uh, non-suiting, um, after a couple years going up to the appeals, getting kicked back down, just all sorts of madness, but we won't go into all that. Cause that's a whole nother podcast, but, um, basically, uh, you know, just back and forth, these people, I, I did get some of their names, some of them I didn't, but they were, you know, attacking me online on this, uh, on this forum, but Tracy comes along poor Tracy and, uh, they decide Tracy's me. And so they start, yeah. And poor Tracy, she's about the sweetest little thing you could ever know. And, and they're just coming at her and just, and they've been coming at me for years at that and, point. So, yeah. And they were like fucking this and I'm going, what? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so Tracy's getting attacked because they think she's me. And, uh, and I tell her, I said, I said, don't, don't take it to heart. I sent her, I sent her a private message said, they think you're me. <laughs> like, so don't take it to heart. Me, All this- you gave me your number and we talked yeah. for hours and haven't yeah. stopped since. No, no. How many years later? I mean, <laughs> we've been friends now for, you know, and it was a match made in heaven. Like we almost, I feel like I need to send out a big thank you to these people who, uh, were attacking me and attacked her and just, um, you know, because we've just been you know, so close, and well, I mean, now she's criminal my best investigation friend. can make for strange bedfellows sometimes. I mean, you really there are people that you're going to to upset, and you're going to have haters if you do. You know, Dick Cheney once remarked that 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 uh, uh, car that uh, dogs don't bark at parked cars, and that's really that's really mm-hmm. true. If you're not out there doing anything at all. Or, or if you are out there doing anything at all, uh, you're going to draw quite mm-hmm. a bit of fire. And, and the, the one thing that I never got used to in high profile criminal defense is the, is the, is the visceral hatred that I had to confront all the time because, you know, in my mind, I thought, man, this is really ill-deserved. I'm just out here trying to make a living. I'm trying to do what I'm yeah, constitutionally yeah, yeah. required to do as someone who chose this line of work no good and, and everybody, you know, I'm hated by everybody. I mean, it's not even, yeah. you know, the, the, the well, you don't have to agree uh, with them, Tracy. No, what I mean is we're, all, we're all hated. We're all hated. I, okay. From every side. I have people ask me all the time, well, you know, after five years, you can apply for your law license back. And my response has been, why in the world would I want that back? 
You know, I really, I wow. miss trying lawsuits. It's some of the theater of it, but just about everything else about it, the death threats and, you know, the second that Autry decided to tell the government that he do what he did. Fletcher, we can't hear oh. you again. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're, you're going away I, the, on the us. The second that Autry decided okay. to tell the government that he knew all about it and what had happened, the next day, uh, he wanted a full refund of his legal fees. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, is that how you think that works? Is that I'm just like a savings account mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, no, it doesn't work that way, Jason. You know, <laughs> it's like the next day I had, I had to ban his mother from my Facebook page because, you know, I, I just like, I'm not going to deal with this unpleasantness, but, uh, it's amazing. I think people would have much more empathy for people in our lines of work if they understood um, what the consequences and some of the collateral, what some of the collateral impact that's visited upon you and your family just purely because you have a job to do and you're trying to do it. Right. And you have to keep quiet about your family. You can't say you're scared your kids are going to get some type of repercussion for what you've done. Oh, and, and they do, you know, they, they, yes. they do get a terrible repercussion from it. And I've, you know, I have uh, four kids and they, they love their dad, whether y'all love him or not. <laughs> and, and so it's, it is, it, it can be a terrible way to make a living. It, it really can. But in a country that wants to maintain that it is free and free, free to criticize the government, free to stand up to the government, without fear of reprisal, free to take a position mm-hmm. adverse to the government. It, it Having an arm, having investigators that you can hire, having psychologists that you can hire as expert witnesses, having lawyers that you can hire to proffer a defense on your behalf, when, when and, and he turns into the only friend you have on the planet, are important things, lines of, of relief that have to exist in order to continue to maintain that we are a free country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're Good not point. fun at parties that- either. Cause what we want to talk about, everybody walks away like we're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we get along so well. So basically what we're going to do is um, we're going to choose a case at the end of each podcast and we'll each come with ideas and we'll choose a case and Um, then I will upload everything that we have onto our platform. Um, and we will each study that case. And, you know, of course, Fletcher, you'll look at it from the, uh, the defense side of it. And, um, and Tracy will, you know, be requesting documents or doing research or whatever that, you know, other information she can pull, but we'll put it all in the same place so that we all have access to it. Kind of like, in court, you know, how we all have to share our discovery, that same sort of idea. And, uh, and then at the end of the week, you know, we will each, uh, go on and share our theories and, um, and discuss our viewpoints on the case. Uh, and Fletcher, you'll, you'll poke holes in it and challenge it. And I think it's going to be great. Um, the podcast isn't, you know, about agreeing with each other, being politically, uh, politically correct. It's actually quite the opposite. It's, um, you know, intensity and just, you know, 
really um, expanding everybody's ideas and thoughts on each case by just, you know, challenging everything and, um, and not being afraid to, uh, you know, point out things like if there appears to be corruption in this case, you know, what is, where is the corruption? Um, you know, those sort of issues that uh, tend to be present in a lot of cases, um, but will be very verbal about those things and those, those concerns. That sounds good to me. And, you know, I think that we can maybe even have people suggest cases to us that they would like us to just do. Yeah. I think that would be good too. And we'll have a blog. We have a blog. It'll be, uh, I'm actually in the process of working on it right now, but when it's up and ready, um, we will, you know, upload our final reports and our theories and, you know, uh, maybe not all evidence. Um, some of these cases will also be cases that I am personally, you know, working that, that I've been hired to work. Um, so I may not be able to share everything in some cases, but we'll share as much as we can. And um, there will be an 800 number for people to call in when we are live streaming. And when we're uh, not live streaming, there will always be um, the opportun- opportunity for people to comment um, on those cases on the blog. All right, guys, that sounds good. Any thoughts, Tracy, in closing? Right now, I have no thoughts at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) What? How is that even possible? They just disappeared. Fletcher, you need to know, Tracy, Tracy and I talk every day, sometimes two or three times a day. And I'll tell you what I told her one day. I said, and this is before I really even knew, you know, what we wanted to have a podcast about. But I said, man, I said, we need to have a podcast. We are fucking funny. Like we just, we, we banter back and forth. We just like, we're so comfortable with each other. Like we'll just say whatever, you know, it's great. So I think, I think that the, uh, the vibe, the, you know, the relationship that, that we have, uh, with each other, I think is really good. And I think the chemistry is going to be great for this podcast. I was thinking when you were talking about cases, I was thinking about uh, Dennis Nielsen and um, Jeffrey Dahmer and how much alike they were. <laughs> that's really more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, that's that just goes to show why we're friends right there, because you like automatically. But so on that note, um, everything's been uploaded to the platform. And our case that we'll be talking about next week is that of Raquel Jackson from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it is one of my cases that I was hired to um to investigate and I've uh, had it for uh, over a year now and kind of hit a brick wall because with all the evidence that I have managed to get together, I have not been able to get the lead detective on it to, um, to move. Uh, you know, we've tried to get them to rerun DNA um, that was found under her fingernails, have not been able to get them to do that. The case has been cold uh, for over a decade. Um, and it's just, uh, so we, we want to get it in the public eye and see if we can shake some, uh, shake up some trees a little bit. Is that the she right? Was eight, she yes. Was she was eight months pregnant also. Yeah. This she was Raquel Jackson. She was, this is a woman that was murdered was, at her apartment. Yes. Right. And, yeah. Uh, she, her, her and her unborn eight, seven, eight month old little mm-hmm. boy were murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was eight months pregnant 
and there is a main suspect uh, with a lot of evidence pointing against him who has been linked to six other murders, one of which he did do time for, but the state uh, gave him a plea deal and let him go time served on reckless homicide. So that's it. It'll be exciting. All right, you guys ready? All right. All right, let's do it. Yep. (laughs) Next week. Bye. Bye.